And we can be fed by God's word and then we can be fed by Colleen's laksa, so... That's always something to look forward to of a morning. All right. Before we get into God's word this morning, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have spoken to us by your word. We thank you that all of the things that we really need to know about who you are and who we are and about your love for us are written down for us in a word that is living and active that speaks into our hearts by your Spirit. And so we just pray that you would give us ears to hear your word today and hearts to put it into action. May we learn to love as your word calls us to love and may we know from your word how loved we are. In Jesus' name, amen. For those who want to follow along in your Bibles, we're reading today from 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 13. Now about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. So then about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We're no worse if we do not eat, and no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I'll never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. The people in the church in Corinth, or at least those who had written this part, uh, written to Paul, uh, and Paul has received a letter from some of these Christians in this very fragmented, messed up church in Corinth. 
And Paul is now, at this point in the letter, responding to a number of the things that they'd asked him about in this letter. And these Corinthian Christians, they knew their rights. They knew that they had the right and the freedom to be able to eat anything. They had the right and the freedom to be able to eat this meat that had been sacrificed to idols without, uh, you know, without it being a sin. They knew their rights, but there was something that was missing in their attitude and something that was missing in their thinking about what was right for them to do and what was wrong for them to do. Now, Corinth was a very large, a very wealthy, a very important city. It was the largest city in Greece in its day and probably about the third or fourth biggest city in all of the Roman Empire. And with being a big city in the Roman Empire comes big pagan temples. Uh, namely, the, the one that it was most famous for was its great temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of love. Hence, all of the passages we've looked at already about temple prostitutes and all of those sort of things. But um, all sorts of gods, Roman and Greek and, and all sorts, were worshipped in Corinth. And like at God's temple, you know, in, in Jerusalem, the worship of many of these gods involved the sacrifices of animals. But unlike in God's temple, where that meat was all eaten by the Levites and the priests, here in Corinth, the meat from the sacrifices would be, then be sold on to the marketplace. So, you know, somebody brings in their cow to have it sacrificed at the, at the temple of Jupiter or whatever, and the, the priests of that temple would take what they wanted and then they would go and sell the rest and that, you know, the profits would then go towards the temple. So if you're then an average Joe in the city of Corinth going to buy meat in the marketplace, there's a very good chance that the meat that you're going to buy was sacrificed to an idol, to a, a Roman or Greek god, to a false god. So it wasn't easy for the people of this church to avoid eating meat that was sacrificed to idols, at least not without avoiding eating meat altogether. Now, some of the people in the Corinthian church, they believe in, you know, in the, the things we saw above, that idols aren't real, they're, they're false gods, they don't exist, there is only one God, therefore there's no harm in eating this meat that had been sacrificed to idols. So they knew that it was fine to eat this meat, but there were others in the church that felt that it was wrong to eat that meat. Because they had grown up, you know, going and visiting these temples and believing in these gods. And to them, you know, they still saw this meat as being somehow defiled by the, the association with these gods. And it comes across to us like the letter Paul got was written by those who knew that it was fine to eat the meat. Who knew that there was nothing wrong with it. Paul begins by quoting a few things that they've said. Things like... We all possess knowledge. And he quotes them again as, An idol is nothing at all in the world, and there is no God but one. And Paul agrees with them. Idols are nothing. There isn't, it's not like there are other gods that are warring against God. There is only one God. Despite the fact that people might worship other things that are called gods. 
There is only one God. There is only one Lord. And interestingly, this, this passage, even though Paul is largely dealing with this issue of meat sacrificed to idols, in this passage is one of the strongest evidences we have in the Bible for the teaching that uh, God is Trinity, that Jesus is God, that they, they are distinct persons, but they are one. We find that in verse 6. There is one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. Working together and yet having distinct roles within that. But in any case, Paul's mostly, he's dealing with this issue in this church and he agrees with the people that have written this letter, food doesn't bring us closer to God. Whether you eat this food or whether you abstain from it, that doesn't make you any better a person in God's eyes. But there is one thing that Paul says these people that have written in this letter from the church in Corinth have overlooked. And that is the rule of love. They've overlooked their obligation to show love to their brothers and sisters in Christ who do have a problem with eating this meat that's been sacrificed to idols. And it almost it reads as though they were wanting Paul to send a letter back telling all of those people to stop being soft and just eat it and get on with their lives. But the answer they got was different to probably what they were expecting. Paul insists on the need to show love for their brothers and sisters who had weaker consciences, who, as we noted before, spent their whole lives thinking that idols were real. And it's not easy to just one day flip a light switch and and complete 180 from that and, and feel like all of the things to do with idolatry are nothing. Even though these people have renounced their old gods and chosen to follow Jesus, they still feel the weight of like eating this meat that has been sacrificed to these idols. And Paul warns these Christians that have a strong conscience by publicly eating this meat. He gives a very, you know, very public example of eating in the idol's temple. Even though you know there's nothing wrong with that, you might encourage a brother or a sister to violate their conscience. And Paul says, though, even though then eating the meat wasn't a sin, causing your brother or sister to violate their conscience was a sin, a sin against Jesus himself, because it's an unlovingness, an unloving attitude towards others. It's important for us to remember that having a right, having the right to do something is not the end of the conversation, but that there are other things that we need to consider. And we need to reflect, we need to hold to the rule of love and whether insisting on a right might be unloving towards others. Jesus had the right to stay in heaven. He had the right to ignore us and our need of forgiveness. 
He had the right to let the world be destroyed and all of us with it. He had the right to let us pay the price for sin. To let us die and be eternally separated from God. But Jesus didn't insist upon that right. Instead, Jesus showed us what love is. He came while we were still his enemies. And he died for us. And that, John tells us, that is what love is. He calls us also to show the same kind of love that he showed in coming and giving his life, in laying down his rights. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. And so, Jesus, who gave his life for us so that our sins could be forgiven, Jesus, who showed us a love that has nothing to do with what we deserve, but everything to do with the fact that he is love. He calls us to show that kind of love. Even when it might involve laying down our rights. Like Paul says, now, and I don't think Paul was um, making a claim here that he will never eat meat again, but he was saying, if the choice is between eating meat and you know, causing a brother or sister to sin or not eating it and so upholding them. I'm going to choose no meat. I'm going to choose the rule of love. I'm going to choose the, the option that shows love towards my brothers and sisters in Christ. For every right we have, this reminds us we have a responsibility We have the responsibility to show the love that Jesus calls us to show. But that then begs the question for us, what does this look like now? When I go down to Foodland, I'm not likely to find a T-bone steak that was sacrificed to Jupiter. So how does this apply to us today? Where would we put it into action? Perhaps the closest connection to something like this, there is something that we do see in our world to do with meat that has been sacrificed in a certain way. Uh, you see this particularly if you go down into the, into the city more so, or uh, especially in the eastern states. And that, of course, is halal meat. Uh, meat that is fine for Islamic people to eat because it was... Uh, it was killed in a certain way. I think they have to face them towards uh, Mecca when they're killed. And a lot, there's, there's some rules around it. And so when, these, when it's meat has been done uh, in a certain way, then it's safe and it's fine for Muslim people to eat. And sometimes Christian people have had the, the question of, you know, is it okay for Christians to eat halal meat, given that that's been, in essence, sacrificed to a God that we don't believe in. That is not the same as the God of the Bible. Now, I think 
1 Corinthians 8 tells us very clearly, there's nothing wrong with eating halal meat, just as there was nothing wrong with them eating this meat that had been sacrificed to idols. But if you were eating with a brother or sister who was raised as a Muslim and who was growing up in that world, it might be wisest to avoid doing that because for them it might be a matter of conscience. But even that's a fairly niche situation that we're probably not going to run into too much in our lives. But I don't think this rule, the rule of love and, res and respecting and showing love to those with a weak conscience just applies to food. We could also apply it to alcohol. There are some people within the church who believe that it's quite fine to have a glass of wine with their dinner or uh, um, you know, a beer after a game of footy, all of these sort of things. And I think, biblically, they're quite right. You are allowed to do that. You know, the Bible's, I think, fairly clear, so long as we're not getting drunk, there's nothing wrong with alcohol itself. Um, when Jesus observed the Passover, there were four cups of wine, and this wine did have alcohol in it. But there are some people within the church that, for various reasons, don't feel comfortable with alcohol. They feel like their conscience tells them that they shouldn't have it. Or maybe, you know, there's somebody who uh, has had issues with addiction in the past. And so for them, the safe amount of alcohol is no alcohol. Uh, as they've come out of that addiction. And the Corinthian response to this would be to say, oh, it's okay, the Bible says you're allowed to have a drink, here, have one. You should have a strong conscience like me. Whereas the biblical response to somebody like that, if you're having a teetotaler over for a meal, don't have a drink yourself. Put all that stuff aside and uh, make them feel welcome and make them feel comfortable in your home and show them love. And if you're going to a teetotaler's house for something, don't BYO. Uh, they won't have a wine there, so I'll bring my own. Just leave it at home. And in that way, build up you know, and respect and show love for a brother or sister whose conscience says something different to what yours does. And just because their conscience might, not, might say something beyond what the Bible says, just like you know, these people did have the right to eat idle meat, we can still respect people who make the decision, respect their right and respect their conscience to, well, to have a conscience that says something different to what mine does. And again, like, this, isn't, this isn't even just for eating and drinking. There are all sorts of places where we can think about what it means for someone to violate their conscience. This passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, was a key one for me in thinking through what our response would be towards COVID vaccinations within this church. With the sense that I, I truly believe biblically that there is nothing wrong with somebody having the COVID vaccination, and that, you know, as I've done. But there were a few people for whom it really seemed like a conscience issue 
that their conscience really had a hard time with this. And even though I might have felt differently about this issue, I really felt that uh, 1 Corinthians 8 applied here as well. What did it look like to show love in that situation? Instead of insisting upon what was, you know, people, people agreeing with what is okay to do. It's important that we don't encourage people, we don't challenge people to violate their conscience on whatever it might be. I mean, unless for whatever reason their you know, um, conscience is actually telling them to avoid something that's you know, actually really essential to the Christian faith. But that's a fairly unlikely thing to happen. And that's just, that's just three examples there of what it looks like to show love when people feel differently to us. So although we might not face the exact issue that the Corinthians were facing of the markets being full of steaks and, and meat that were sacrificed to idols, the key, the heart of this passage to us today is to remember the way that Christ laid down his rights for you out of love. And let's be guided to live that sort of love toward others. And if we ever find ourselves in a situation where you feel like someone's being a bit weak on something, you know, there's nothing wrong with this, but someone doesn't want to, that's okay. They're allowed to. And let us show the kind of love that God would call us to show and the kind of love that Jesus has shown us. Then be willing to say like Paul that I would rather lose a right than cause somebody to fall, than cause somebody to violate their conscience in a way that really hurts them in their faith and in their walk with God. Could we do that? Could we say like Paul, I'd never have meat again if that was what was necessary? That would be a pretty tough one for me. Um, I'd never have alcohol again. That's the kind of love that Jesus has shown to us. We can enjoy our rights for all of eternity. Right now, here and now. The most important thing for us is to help people to get to eternity. And so, if we see ourselves, if we see our, our lives as working towards that end, we're here on mission to bring people to God and not to even accidentally drive them away from God. Let's look at all of our rights in that light. And always choose the role of love. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the incredible love that you showed to us. We sing so often of what you've done at the cross, of how you came to this world, took on human form, became fully God and fully man. And in that, you died on the cross in our place. 
And we know that story so well. It's so central to our faith that sometimes we can forget that you didn't have to do any of that. But it's what you chose to do out of love. And we pray that you would, by your Spirit, grow in us the same kind of love that you have shown. That we might be able, with your help, because we can't do it ourselves, that we might be able to love as you have loved us. When we run into conscience issues, Lord, please help us to be sensitive and help us to be loving. And even where it might need to be, help us to be willing to lay down our rights if, it means, if that's what it means to show love to others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing now in response to God's word from 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Brother, sister, let me serve you. Let me be as Christ to you. Pray that I might have the grace to let you be my servant too.